Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. And if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. Everybody say good news. To proclaim good news. Now, what is good news? It's called the gospel is, is another word for that. It's just in reference to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension. It's in reference to that God loved the world, that he sent his son to die on a cross for us, to die for our sins, to pay the debt for our sins. That's the good news. And if you read the good news, if you learn the good news, you'll also find out that it's really just becoming accustomed to the way that God sees things, the way God thinks about things. That's why you have to read this book, because it's good news. Teaches you how God sees things. Well, what's the opposite of the way God sees things? It's the way you see things. The way you see things is not good news. The way the news sees things is not good news. Did you know that? Did you know that, that when you go to journalistic school, and I might have some journalists here, and God bless you, but you know I'm telling the truth. They say, if it bleeds, it reads, which means the only thing that gets you to click on something or watch the news is something negative and something bad or something fearful or something scary or something intimidating or something that's going to get you to worry. Oh, no, no, no. The storm's coming. The storm's coming. The storm's coming. It's going to be category. It's going to be category. It's going to be the biggest thing ever. Oh, there you go. What, what happened? It wasn't really much because they kept you watching, which meant cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Nothing wrong with watching the news. Just know that it's man's perspective. And sometimes if all you're doing is listening to man's perspective, then before you know it, you start seeing the world the way the news sees the world instead of the good news. The good news is the way God sees it, the way God sees people, the way God sees situations, even the way God sees tragedy and traumas. You have to get in the book. Can I get a, just a little amen? Nothing big, just a little bit. Okay. All right, let's keep reading. To proclaim good news to the poor, he went, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he said to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Of course, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61, which lets us know what we're going to talk about is a theme consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I like to tell the church that the Old Testament is the dictionary of the New Testament. So when you read a verse like that, a lot of times the way you understand the unfolding of what Jesus is talking about is you got to go back to the Old Testament and get an example, get a story, get something that gives you the context of what Jesus is trying to talk about here. Now, before we turn to Jeremiah 34, in one verse, Jesus says the word proclaim three times. Number one, he said, proclaim the good news. Again, that's God's way of handling stuff. That's 
Jesus was God's way of handling stuff in the earth, sin in the earth. So good news, number two, was proclaim freedom. Number three was proclaim the year of God's favor. So three times he says to proclaim something. So you've got the good news is the top slice of bread. You've got the year that you're supposed to proclaim of God's favor that's the bottom slice of bread. And you got freedom that's all the goody stuff in the middle. But you have to understand what good news is and you have to understand the concept of time and how God has a set time. God has a calendar that he works with many times. And so it's talking about there's a year of God's favor. Once you understand both these two things, and you can maybe begin to understand freedom a little bit. So let's jump real quick to Jeremiah 34. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is verse eight from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. Everyone who has been was to free their Hebrew slaves, everyone was, both male and female. No one was to hold the Hebrew in bondage. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them bondage. They agreed and set them free. But afterward, they changed their minds, took the slaves back that they had freed and enslaved them again. Let's look at verse 17. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you've not obeyed me, you've not proclaimed freedom to your own people. And that's really what I want to talk to you about, proclaiming freedom, proclaiming freedom. Now, before we understand freedom, you first have to understand the opposite of freedom, which would be to be enslaved or to be in bondage. The opposite of freedom is to be oppressed or to be a slave. If you read the English Bible or the King James Bible, or really most of the English translations, you'll find that the word slave is very rarely referenced in your Bible. Usually, the word that means slave in the Hebrew Bible, which the word slave in the Hebrew Bible is mentioned 1,100 times, but the reason that you find it rarely mentioned in our Bible is obviously uh, because of the negative connotations surrounding the, the negative imagery around, really just the negative history around the word uh, to be enslaved. So you don't read about it a lot. You'll read words like to be a bond servant or to be a servant, but that word is avoided. However, if you really want to understand freedom, you have to really lean into the weight of what the Bible says concerning to be enslaved, what it, what it looks like and what it means. In Jesus's world, the idea of being enslaved was a very important concept. There was over 12 million slaves in the time of Jesus, one in five people would have been a slave in the Roman Empire. The word slave is a Greek word that means doulos. It's not speaking of a servant. It's not speaking of an employee or a hired hand. The word doulos, it means owned. When, when someone is a doulos, they are someone else's property. They are owned by another person. And this is also the primary word used to describe salvation. So whenever you and I talk about salvation and God saving us and God, it also has this other side of it. It's just not you prayed a prayer. It's you've given the ownership of your life over. Uh-oh. We don't like that, do we? It's my life. It's not your life. The Bible says you've been bought with a price. 
that your life is not your own, is what the Bible says. So it means to be owned. Romans 10, 9 says, if you want salvation, then you must confess Jesus is Lord or master. The word master there is the Greek word kurios, and it corresponds to the word dolos. And this is the best way to think about it. Kurios would be in reference to the master or the person that owns the slave. Dolos is in reference to the person that is owned by their master. And so both of these words begin to work together, but the doulos knows the curios is the master. He has absolute authority. He has absolute power. He has absolute rule, absolute command. And every time in our Bible, you read across the word servant or bond servant, it's introducing us to a concept that's accurately understood as a slave. Paul said, I am a slave to Christ. The apostle uh, Peter said, I'm a slave to Christ. James said, I'm a slave to Christ. Jude said, I'm a slave to Christ. And you would have to say, well, why would God use such a negative imagery or why would God use some, a word with such horrific stigma to it? And the reason is that inside of understanding the full uh, ugliness and how horrific slavery is, we would be introduced to a God that is good. It would amplify and magnify his goodness. It teaches us that our master is a loving master. Everyone is a slave to something, but our master is a loving master. He's all wise. He is all good. He is all knowing. He is all powerful. He is all merciful, and he can forgive even the most horrific of situations. So I think God is looking to redeem the word if it's possible but wait with me so you can really understand, because I think this is kind of message will have a dual purpose to it. The other side of this message will be if you ever talk to someone that reads the text about slavery, this is one of those things, how do you find the goodness of God in the hard parts of the Bible? So a lot of people will try to shed a negative light on the scripture because of this concept, and this will help you maybe talk to them if you ever run into that. So we would have Exodus chapter 21 that gives us the laws of slavery. It's almost immediately following the Ten Commandments. Y'all are so tense today, but it's good news. We're talking about the Bible. It's going to be good news. Walk with me. It's, everybody say good news. The Bible was not written from an American point of view. You know that, right? So the America meaning, American meaning does not always apply. And so we'll get to that. So you have the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Almost immediately following that, you have this, the laws of slavery in chapter 21. So right under the importance of God's top 10, you have these laws, which gives us an insight into how important this really is. In the Hebrew culture, if you were to buy a slave or purchase a slave, it was to create a pathway for freedom. In times where people would, let's say, be in a difficult place where they would have to steal for food or they would, they would end up in a criminal situation, maybe they had taken out a loan for a business and the business went under. For some reason, if someone was unable to pay back the debt that they owed, then God was creating a way for that person to get out of the place that they were in. And so God, through this concept that we're gonna look at, he creates a pathway for the debtor. 
He creates a pathway for the person that's in over their head, the person that needs a second chance, the person who needs to have a way established to get out of the situation they're in. The chapter 21 of Exodus gives us how God established that way. In America, for example, until the 1960s, if you were to not pay back a debt that you owed, you would be tried as a criminal. So we can go all the way back into the Old Testament and begin to see that God was trying to provide a way out for people that got in over their head. But until the 1960s, you never really see this happening again. Then you have what we would call chapter 13, bankruptcy gives someone a way to get out of the the debt that they've created. After five years, they can follow the program and get that stigma off of their back. And so here in Bible times, what would happen is someone would take out a loan or they would have a debt that they could not pay. They would be in prison. They would be locked up. They would be behind bars. They were of no value to society, no value to anyone else. A wealthy person could go to the prison, could purchase that, that prisoner, get them out of prison, and that person would begin to work for them for up to six years. Now, this was an act of mercy. This was an act that in no way really benefited uh, the wealthy person that was buying them. By the time you paid for them to get out of prison, by the time you paid that fee, by the time you paid them to have room and board and you fed them and then you had to clothe their, if they have a wife and children, you had to take care of all of them. By the time that you had made your investment, very rarely was the investment Uh, a financial blessing for the person that was doing it. And so this person would purchase the Hebrew servants. After six years, they could go completely free. This wasn't a magic like uh, light switch. This wasn't a slick and easy thing. This was a process or a pathway for someone to be free. If someone was in a bad place, they knew that they could reach out for help. And if they would reach out for help, there was a way for them to get out of the situation they would be put in. And so the Bible here is explaining to us, okay, so someone ends up in over their head, that person gets bought by someone that has the resources to eliminate their debt, now this person goes into a six-year pathway where every year they're going to get closer and closer and closer and closer to year seven, where the owner would then, or the curios then, would go and with full authority, with full power, With the full right to do so, he would proclaim over that slave that they could go free and never have to worry about that debt again. Now, interestingly enough, if you got to year seven and your master said you can go free, many times the people did not want to go free. They would choose Deuteronomy 15 talks about because of their love for their master, because of their respect for their master, they would make the decision to not go free, but instead they would choose to remain a slave. Now, once the person made that decision, they would take the person's ear and they had what they would call an awl, A-W-L. It was basically like a little uh, earring type uh, stud and they would push it through the ear of the person into the door of the master. So they would pierce the ear of the person, but their ear would be stuck to the door. 
which I think is so interesting. I'm probably stretching it a little here, but I do think that the Bible introduces Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is described as the door. So if you really want to be someone that Jesus is your master and your Lord, a good place to start would be to ask yourself, is your ear nailed to the door? Are you nailed to what is, in other words, if my ear is nailed to the door, if the door opens, my ear kind of follows it. You know what I'm talking about? If they slam the door, your ear kind of follows it. I, I, I wish I was better than I am, but this is all I got for you guys right now, right? And so, so wherever the master's taking you, you kind of have a tendency to go. You're always listening. Your ear is always close to the door. God's plan is freedom. But sometimes the slave knows my best life is to stay close to the master. God's heart was to eliminate what would be a caste system of the day. God's heart was to put the impoverished and the wealthy together. His goal was to bring those who had made maybe bad decisions or wrong decisions and couple them with someone that uh, had been blessed. And, and the hope was is that they could, during those six years, they could learn the skills, they could learn the, the gifts, they could learn the talents, and they could walk out of that six years with the ability and the gifts and the knowledge and the wisdom to go out and create a different life for themselves. And the Bible says... In Jeremiah 34, that God's issue was that his people stopped proclaiming freedom. So they would go and they would buy the prisoner. Year one would go and year two would go, year three would go, year four. And by the time they would get to the end of year six, the master was supposed to proclaim freedom, but they stopped proclaiming freedom. So then year seven, year eight, and year nine, and year 10 would go on. And so God came, he said, hey, listen, you have to have a way to freedom. You have to have a pathway to freedom. You have to proclaim freedom. And because they refused to do this, God said, the result is now you're going to end up enslaved yourself. And this is the point. The point is God has gone to extreme measures for us to find freedom. And it is a major problem if God's people never have freedom proclaimed over their lives. So Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. That's what he said, to proclaim. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to not be quiet, but the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim something. Because there seems to be a connection between proclaiming and freedom. So a lot of times we are bound because we haven't had someone say, no, you're not like that. You're not the prisoner anymore. You're not in year one. You're not in year two. You're not in year. This is the way, this is the way I would, I would even go, go at it like this. That when the Bible says that Jesus proclaimed, this is the year of God's favor in the old Testament, what would happen is some wealthy person would have to come and buy you. You'd have to go through the six years and then maybe, just maybe, you might hear a proclamation of freedom. 
But in the New Testament, Jesus paid the price in full and he doesn't make you go through year one, year two, year three. He just immediately says, I'm going to proclaim freedom over your life. So we're not just supposed to get out of prison. We're not just supposed to get saved. We're not just supposed to come into the kingdom. We're also supposed to get to a place where we're free and that we're proclaiming our freedom. I'm free from depression. I'm free from not living with the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm free from fear. You got, you got to proclaim, I'm, I'm free from anxiety. I'm, I'm free from being addicted to this substance or that substance. I'm, I'm free from the hurt of my past. I'm free from living in darkness. I'm free from living a life in chains. I'm free. And you know what? I'm free to do one thing, and that is to say, he is my curio. He is my master. He is my Lord. And I make a decision that it's an honor for me to be a slave to him. I've been a slave to this world. I've been a slave to my flesh. I've been a slave to my past. I've been a slave to where I came from. I've been a slave to what other people think about me. At some point, you just have to say, God, I want you to proclaim freedom over me, freedom over my family, freedom over my future. And by the way, this is good news. It's good news to say I'm free. It's good news to say who the son has set free is free indeed in Jesus name. Everybody say amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash DBPM. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.